Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I'm your host, William Schmidt. All right. Welcome back, Andrew. We're going to have no. hey. Yeah, we're we're gonna have another good discussion today. And we were just talking right beforehand that there is a new blog post from the National Taxpayer Advocate that we wanted to address. And we've both got some thoughts about offers and compromise. So if are you wanting me to, to dig right in on on the blog post, Andrew? Yeah, let's talk about the blog post. Okay. Yeah, that this is one posted on November 15th, 2021. The National Taxpayer Advocate blog. The title is IRS Initiates New Favorable Offer and Compromise Policies. So going through, it introduces what an offer and compromise is. Certainly, some of these are topics that I've brought up on the, the podcast before, but we'll just give a little bit of a, a primer here. Do you how about I'll I'll let you just introduce the topic of an offer and compromise, Andrew? Offer and compromise, the way I describe it to clients. And I don't know if you have any secret to explain it to clients, Bill, but I always tell them, you ever seen those infomercials where they say, we settle for pennies on the dollar with the IRS? Well, that's a real thing. And that's when offering compromises. And usually clients will understand, oh, okay, that I'm following this, I've heard of that, where you list your income, expenses, assets, and a financial analysis is conducted by the IRS. Hopefully, it comes out to zero for your client, and then you can offer $1. But there are wrinkles in it that the IRS looks at. Maybe this person used to make $100,000 a year. They'll look at things like that. So address why a person's income won't increase. Sometimes they will look at roommates if they don't separate their assets, their expenses properly. And that can get real thorny to take the percentages. They're real interesting things, but it almost is the bread and butter of an LITC. The income, expenses, assets, make a deal. Anything to add, Bill? That Yeah, that was very good, Andrew. Yeah, I, I usually tell them that the, the commercials that are, are talking about like making low offers can be a little misleading that the average person doesn't necessarily qualify for pennies on the dollar, but most likely our low income clients might because they may be on a fixed income or they may have some kind of medical issue that will help with their circumstances for the IRS to accept them as, as giving a low offer like, like the dollar offer you mentioned. And we should add that there's different flavors, I like to call it flavors of offers, where it is an inability to pay slash doubt as to collectability. 
and effective tax administration. And the other one, I don't think I've ever done it, but a doubt as to liability. I think that's the correct phrase. So we're just talking about inability to pay, doubt as to collectability. I don't think effective tax administration falls under this. Yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm doing that. I mean, like, especially if there's a, a person with a medical issue, like I'm, I'm thinking of one client who had cancer that perhaps they would have an ability to pay, but because of the effective tax administration, then that would be submitting it to show to the IRS, hey, there's, there's a basically a good public policy reason for the IRS to accept the offer and and go with a, a low offer amount, even though they may show on paper that, that they have an ability to pay uh, for for collectability. So yeah, and the, the doubt as to liability, I don't know that I've ever submitted one of those, but well, maybe I tried that when I had a client who she was a senior citizen who got caught up in an internet scam. And so I think I sent it perhaps both to the IRS and the state as doubt as to liability offers. And they may have reassigned it if if those if that was incorrect, but I was trying to, you know, maybe maybe she didn't qualify under doubt as to collectability, but I was trying a different way to show that, and maybe it should have been effective tax administration. I, I don't remember right now, but but showing that, hey, this person was scammed, got cheated out of a lot of money, and shouldn't, you know, can you show some fairness to her that her her tax liability should be reduced? But yeah, doubt doubt is liability. There may be some reason why the the person maybe they should do an audit reconsideration request or or something like that 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 there's a some form of remedy within the IRS system but but that hasn't worked out and and so they're just just jumping to the doubtest liability offer and and making an offer that way but but yeah, a lot of a lot of what we're going to focus on today is to doubt as to collectability. And there are some items in the offer, like there is, it is essentially a contract with the IRS between the IRS and the taxpayer. And because of that, there's a little bit of kind of several paragraphs of legalese that the taxpayer needs to be familiar with. But some of the main highlights that I give are the IRS wants the taxpayer to stay in compliance for the next five years. And so that's both filing and paying if for, so if, in the next tax year, they file a tax return and they owe, well, the IRS wants them to get that paid off. You know, I, 
I read it as getting it paid off immediately, but but they they need to address getting everything filed and paid off within that five year period that that they need to stay compliant. And that's that's really a big goal for offering compromise, not just that they address their past tax issue, but they get on a good track with the IRS moving forward that that the IRS has a goal of compliance. And then the other piece from the IRS contract that that I point out to to the clients is really one of the main subjects of this recent National Taxpayer Advocate blog post that I'm advising the client that they will file their offer and it'll it will take at least six months for the IRS to review and get back to them. And and I say to them, you know, I, I don't know if that has been extended due to the pandemic, but it it will take a while for the IRS to respond. And letting them know that during the recent version of of the IRS offer, it it says that the next so after the irs accepts the offer then the tax return in the next year the irs will keep that refund and apply it to the liability that is that is part of the settlement that that the taxpayer had so a lot of taxpayers are pretty accepting of that because as it is, the refunds have been applied to to the amount due anyway. But that's that's something I make sure they understand as part of the offer that, you know, once it's accepted, they lose their first refund as as part of the offer. So so isn't that once it's accepted and they pay the offer amount? Right, right. They Right, they pay the their offer amount and then it's final. I don't know what to call that. It's finalized then. It's completed. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So, okay, any any thoughts on on those pieces? Yeah, I explain that to them as well. Sometimes I've had with some clients where they they come to me and they say, "Look, is there any way I can make a deal with the IRS?" I look at their situation and view it in mind that the IRS will take their next refund after they after acceptance or during the review period. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense to file an offer because their refund will pay off the, the liability. So I've had to tell clients in the past and explain it just like this. If, even if it's accepted, they're going to take one refund after that. Your refund will pay off the liability. So it makes no sense to submit this offer, given that you're going you're gonna to pay it or the IRS is going to take the money regardless. But this change seems like it opens the door for that to be different. Right, that that according to today's the blog post on November 15, 
And it says that that effective on November 1st, the IRS is no longer offsetting or, or recovering the refunds for that calendar year in which the offer was accepted. So they're no longer going to be applying that first tax refund to the offer anymore. In, in the blog post, it's saying that, that it's, this is a good thing for low-income taxpayers because several of them are looking forward to those refunds to meet their their annual living expenses. So citing that as a, a good reason. And there, there are some kind of caveats that they don't want anyone to try and get around the system. And so if a person was going through this process, but yet tried to amend a return kind of and try and get that refund outside of the offer process that the IRS will be reviewing amended returns in, in connection with the offer. And they, they are generally warning people that if you're, if you're trying to get a, a refund by, by doing an amended return outside of the offer, there is a chance that that refund may still be applied to the offer. So basically people are, are on warning right now. Don't try and cheat the system in, in this way of, of getting an offer or getting a refund outside of your offer by, you know, oh, I'll, I'll just hold on to, to my amended return and try and get a refund that way. Well, maybe, you know, if, if the IRS is going to think that, that you're doing something a little shady, then, then don't anticipate that you're going to get that refund. And doesn't it go also towards the financial analysis part that just because the IRS didn't know about it or you didn't reveal it doesn't mean that it wasn't there. So it would count as an asset and increase your offer amount. Yeah, exactly. That's a, a good point, Andrew. That 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 if if this was a refund that you were considering as as an asset when you were making the offer, then that should have been counted as 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 the assets in the consideration, and should have been listed rather than you know. And they're they're giving the example of a, a ten thousand dollar refund, which. You know, hey, that that would be lovely, but but basically, that that if if you were anticipating a ten thousand dollar refund, then that that probably should have been listed on your offer to begin with as as one of your assets. Okay, and then there's another piece about the offset bypass refund with a pending offer, and. I've talked a little bit about an offset bypass refund in the past, but how has it worked for you in, in trying to do that, getting on an offset bypass refund for a client, Andrew? I'll be honest, it has never worked for me. <laughs> so 
I've tried them or, or floated the idea to taxpayer advocate service in Milwaukee here. And they are kind individuals and will entertain the idea, but either the client had other debts. So the, the offset wouldn't have worked uh, such as maybe child support or uh, many different government overpayments, they'll intercept it. Just they, you can't bypass all a client's debts. So that happened a couple of times. In uh, other instances, it wasn't deemed an emergency yet or uh, the proper documentation proceed, uh, process uh, steps couldn't be taken because, for example, clients behind on rent and knows an eviction is coming, but it's not there yet. And taxpayer advocate service, and at least for me, said they actually need the eviction filed and to see that level of emergency before they would bypass. So to answer your question, it hasn't worked for me, but I know the basic steps that need to be taken. Okay. Yeah, I've I've had mixed results for for an offset bypass refund that yeah, I know for for like one client I was able to get it through, but then as as the taxpayer advocate service has gotten busier, then they came back to me trying to see about a a second offset bypass refund and we weren't able to get it worked out with the taxpayer advocate service. I can't recall if if I've had like maybe one or two clients were the ones who received help, but yeah, generally, so to, to take a step back, the offset bypass refund is that if a person owes a past due government debt and they file their tax return that their refund is going to be applied to one of those past due debts, then, I mean, that's that's normally how it works, that, that the refund is applied to those debts. Often that is IRS past due debt, a, a state tax debt, child support, and student loans are some of the common ones as well. But the IRS really can only work if it is an IRS debt that the Taxpayer Advocate Service can step in. They can try and help if it is another government debt. I was able, when I first started working at a clinic, that was one thing that TAS was, was helping me out with, that we were negotiating with the state on a debt. And then it turned out, okay, this guy, he had owed the IRS, then he owed the state, and then he owed the VA, the Veterans Administration. Oh, so yeah, yeah we, we were able to kind of negotiate things over time, but for an offset bypass refund, it's trying to get that, that client, their refund before it is sent to that government debt during the tax season. And I have learned in order to do that, to, to jump on it and be talking the, to the taxpayer advocate service as soon as you can to 
to get that happening because the the government system might apply that refund to the offset pretty quickly and so so get the the ball rolling as as fast as you can but like andrew was saying that the taxpayer advocate service is going to want to see proof of the economic hardship for the taxpayer and so that should be utility shutoff notices eviction notices medical bills like they they might be turned down to get medical care because they can't pay for it or or something like that so certainly gather as much of that as you can the one client that i was successful with the husband had was in a wheelchair and they needed to get into housing with a wheelchair ramp and and so that was yeah that we we were able to get get them some i don't know rent rent payments for getting into that housing through the the offset bypass refund so it's it's really wonderful when it works but you know it 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 can be tricky like like andrew was saying that that you have to to work in in pretty close coordination with the taxpayer advocate service to get them the proof and for them to to get things fixed for the taxpayer and you know yeah some if if like the person andrew is working with was wanting proof that an eviction notice was actually filed by the, the landlord, then, I mean, to me, if, if they're starting their procedures, then things are moving pretty fast. And, and so you need to, to get that money quickly. Yeah, another thing is that they, they want it to all be very recent so i don't remember if it was like in the last 30 or, or 45 days or or something like that but and and as another note just because they have a hardship doesn't mean they get the their full refund you kind of have to prove expenses and build up to to get their full refund so you might only show that they have enough expenses to get part of their refund. So it's it's not a guarantee that they will get all of their refund back to them. Okay, so with the National Taxpayer Advocates blog post, she was noting that before, if someone was had submitted an offer, then while that offer was pending, they weren't allowed to get an offset bypass refund. But now, if it's proven that there's a hardship situation, then they are able to get that offset bypass refund during the, during the pending offer. And they do note on the blog post that there really isn't a lot of information about the offset bypass refunds that if you're looking for it on the IRS website or other areas that, that you can find some information in the Internal Revenue Manual, but it's really sources like this that, that you can find out how, how to work on that with the Taxpayer Advocate Service, but 
there isn't the most information out there, but it it is good information that that is being provided that now the that first refund is not being kept after the offer and then the offset bypass refund is available during the pending offer so those are good changes that that will especially help low income taxpayers as far as the offset bypass refund information and who needs to know about that? I always try and tell the housing attorneys about it at my organization because I don't think many attorneys know that we as tax practitioners might be able to help a housing client with things like rent or utilities. I would hope that my colleagues would send them over anyways if they had tax debt, but it's always good that they know about this, in my opinion, because it opened, it's just one more tool in the tool belt for them to potentially solve a housing problem. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good suggestion, Andrew. So I will reach out to my housing team and, and make sure that they know about it. I guess two things, just to add, because offers can get complicated, I will go through the IRM for the financial analysis to see exactly how to recreate what the IRS employee is going to do. And that's IRM 515-1, where you can find the basic information about how to count assets, count income, count expenses, and different things like if they noticed they were making a lot of money before and there's a specific provision in the IRM where they can reject the income listed even if it's proved you prove it based on past earnings also in it is shared expenses how to how to break that down taking the percentage of income of a household so I think that's an important piece of information, piece of uh, uh, reference that practitioners need to be aware of. Then also for the offset bypass refunds, you can actually call the Bureau of the Fiscal Service to see what debts were are referred, the Treasury Offset Program. You can contact them. I'm not going to say it out loud here because it, it's just easy enough to Google. If you Google Treasury Offset Program, there's a way to find out if your client has other debts to see if an offset bypass refund is even an option. Yeah, that's that's all good advice, Andrew. So, right, that a client can, can contact the, the Treasury Offset Program and and find out just who who they owe money to and and what debts are outstanding with the government and so that that may help them out to to come to a resolution with with what they owe to the government i think that's good okay yeah so i i think that's been a good review of offers and some of the 
some of the recent changes to offers that are, are worth noting in, especially in how we're advising clients. Yeah, thank you for, for joining me to talk this over to Andrew. And, you know, I, I look forward to what else is happening in the tax world that, that we can bring to our listeners. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique. So do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation.